Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Lee Carney. How you doing, man? Doing good. Good to see you again. Uh, it's been a while since whole scaling. We we had the honor of sharing the stage together at that event. It was a pretty awesome event. It was. Um, so I wanna I wanna talk to you about several different topics today. Um, you know, you are you are what I would consider an icon. So I, I get these one-off sheets from people that that bring amazing guests like you to me and. I'm sitting here and I'm reading it today. And even though I met you, I didn't realize some of these stats, but since 2004, you have bought and sold 7,000 plus properties. I mean, that is, that is incredible, man. First of all, I want to know, how do you keep track of 7,000? Like at some point in time, don't you stop counting? <laughs> yeah, we haven't counted the last couple of years, um, but Google Docs, believe it or not, up until about seven years ago we were using google docs we That's got hilarious. so good at it we would have all of our spreadsheets joined and as it moved through property status we would move on to different spreadsheets but we had an entire spaghetti network built on google docs and we ran that effectively That's awesome, Every man. the property got everything processed it worked really really well so, so you know, google docs and quickbooks I, I know we were kind of chatting before i know you you flip you you wholesale do you kind of have an idea of how many of those were actual flips in comparison to wholesales? It's a good question. Um, it was a mixed bag between turnkey, wholesale, and retail. So gotcha. probably about a third of each. Yeah, I mean, gotcha. I've done a couple thousand turnkey where we lined up buyers from all over the world and we would buy, rehab, place a tenant, and then put it into property management. So I've, I've done most aspects of real estate in a big way. Yeah, for sure. How many different states have you done deals in? About 30. 30? You, you have any desire to go hit those last 20 just to, to notch it off your, your board? For me, it's chasing deals. I don't care right. where they are. Our approach is just different. You know, we're, once we're out of state, our buy box is a mispriced asset. So if, they, if it's a good deal, we'll buy it. I mean, I'm looking at one right now. Just give you the quick numbers on this. It's in South Carolina. Okay. It's a 2,700 square foot block home. We're buying it for 25,000. It's in good condition. And we're gonna, it's ARV probably 180 to 200. Wow. We're gonna list, we're gonna, we're gonna wholesale for 80. Wow, that's crazy, so, man. That, that's one right today we just closed on, so. That's a, that's a good example to throw out on the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it just shows you, who wouldn't buy a house? It doesn't matter if it's my buy box. Right. This is where a lot of people get stuck in their buy box. And the problem with the buy box is like putting blinders. Yep. Because there's good deals all around you. You're like, no, I only buy in this box. Well, I think that that's crazy, especially with everything going on right now as we're recording this. There's so many good deals. We should be chasing good deals, not be focused on a buy box. And so that's just my take on that. At some point, it makes sense to buy something not in your buy box. Yep. Maybe it's a 20% discount. Maybe it's a 50%. But in this case, I mean, I gave you clear numbers. I'm yep. buying it for less than half of what I'm going to wholesale it for. So yeah. Why wouldn't I buy it? Absolutely. So, you know, you've been around since 2004. You've done thousands of deals. You've done them across the country. I wanted to kind of lay that foundation for everybody so they could understand the, you know, the wisdom that you're about to share with us. So 
this is a, a changing market, right? We're in kind of unprecedented times. So from your opinion, how should either wholesalers, flippers, landlords, any of the above, how should they be approaching what's happening right now in the marketplace? Sure. Good. Really, really good. I think you've asked several questions, so I'll try to yeah. unpack it. Wholesalers should get excited because they're going to make more money than God the next couple <laughs> of years. Yeah. So wholesalers should be really excited. And I would argue that wholesalers are positioned really well today because you can day trade through these choppy waters. I really believe it's going to be a slow grind down over the next two to three years. Yep. Because what's going to happen is we've got all of these stimuluses where people have kicking the can down the road, essentially, yep. you know, three months, six months. And so the defaults are probably not even going to kick in until next year. Yep. And that's when, whether it's a judicial state, which means there's a foreclosure process, or it's, it's, a, it's a non-judicial state or a trustee state where it's a much shorter process. So basically, you don't pay for 90 days, your, ho your house gets swiped. Right. So there's going to be a mixed bag depending on which states um, fall first, but over the next yeah, I'd say two or three years, you're going to see those prices settle back down. But that's good news for wholesalers because <clears throat> if you're not closing and owning or owning long term, you get the day trade real estate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if the asset I bought today goes from 80 and I sell it at 60, am I okay? Yeah, it can go down 30%. I'm okay. It can go down 40%. I'm okay. It can go down 50%. I'm still okay. And so I'm really... I like being a wholesaler. I've always been a wholesaler. It's always been an arm of our business. And so specifically to your question, wholesalers are in a great position and should get ready to make a ton of money. Because so let's, let's dive into that real quick before we move on to flippers and landlords. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're Just talking different about topics. Yeah. So you're going to talk about the opportunities that are going to come because of the default rates and everything that's going to change. Right. Yep. Let's talk about right now today. Yep. Because I think a lot of people are really nervous, right? Sure. I, I'm having conversations with investors <laughs> on a daily basis and it's like, hey, I, you know, maybe I'm short on cash. Maybe I wasn't as liquid as I thought and some deals fell through and, and now I don't know what to do. So what advice would you give to those people that maybe weren't positioned with their financial aspect of their business for the fallout that just happened? Sure. Uh, I've got three, three simple things we should be looking for. The most distressed sellers with the most amount of equity with the, with the biggest need for cash today, that, that's your avatar. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're, we're diligently seeking out. So we do research. We identify equity. If I've got someone with 100 grand in equity and someone with 20, I'm putting five times the effort into the person with 100 because now I can land the whale instead yeah. of catching a bunch of minnow. That's a Brian Tracy phrase if anyone's ever gone through his sales training. Right. And so we're going after big deals. Big, big motivation, big deals, because now there's equity for everybody. And we're identifying people that really value cash. My experience just in the last 30 days, the perceived value of cash now has gone up a mile. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yep. And we're able to chop down prices, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000, because we're, we're doing cash now. We're doing with banks. Banks are scared. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're taking advantage of that. We got sellers. It's not about taking advantage of a seller, but if a seller values you as a cash now versus some, a listing that could be cash, maybe more cash, but two, three months from now, everybody wants cash now. And I should, shouldn't say everybody. There's certain people that due to maybe losing a job or being nervous or just wanting the cash in their hand yep. and not in an equity, we're, we're getting amazing deals. So again, Motivated sellers, high equity, 
and people that value that cash now propositions. And we're, that's who we're going after and we're getting really good deals. Yeah. You know, yesterday, Next Level Mastermind hosted a webinar and we had Christina Spells on as one of our panelists and she brought up a really good point because she's in St. Louis, Missouri. And she said, look, some of our sellers that we might be going after right now with those very high equity spreads, the $30,000 that they had to their name could be tied up in the rental property that they went and bought with cash thinking that they were setting themselves up and now they're not able to collect that rent. They will do anything to get that cash back because that was basically their life savings and they could even be out of their job at this point in time. I mean, think about some of these markets where you're talking about you could buy houses for 15, 20, 25, $30,000. That could very easily be the money that those people need right now to just feed sure. their kids. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a situation in some of these different markets. And so, you know, you talk about that deal in South Carolina. Um, do you mind sharing how you kind of source that deal? Sure. Yeah, that we deal directly. So with some of my contacts been, and I can give you a couple examples just so you don't think it's all bank stuff. So yep. I've got a relationship um, with some higher ups at some major national banks and they give me their scratch and dent list, typically yep. problem people, problem occupants, um, problem files. And so, <clears throat> that came across my desk as one of their, their problem files for a major bank. Gotcha. But I can give you another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bank. More examples of that sure. because I think that's that's one of the things that I'm hearing more than anything is, hey, what I was doing a month ago is not working today because a lot of sellers kind of have, maybe they weren't as motivated as we thought they were. And so everybody kind of just tightened up. But a whole nother list might be wide open to be, sure. to, to be attacked right now. Yeah. So we have another one homeowner bought, paid cash 125,000 three years ago. We locked up the property today for 85,000 and it's worth, you know, 140, 150. Mm -hmm. But now her back's against the wall. She got in a fight with the HOA. The HOA is about to foreclose. So she, she's nervous. So she's taking, a, she's taking a $40,000 hit in what she paid. By the way, three years ago, the market was still appreciating. So, it went up another 20,000 from what she paid. She's selling at 40 grand less than what she paid three years ago. Right. So we're really looking for the seller that just needs the cash. Now they're nervous. They want, like you said, they want the cash. They want to convert it to cash. They yeah. don't want equity. They want cash. And so that's where there's a huge opportunity for wholesalers because you target people that have a high value on cash. They yeah. want their assets converted. And these people are typically liquidating everything. Anything that, that's nebulous and not cash, whether it's a stock or whether it's, you know, maybe an extra vehicle or whether it's, you know, something that's just not cash, they're, they're hoarding cash. And that happens. A lot of people do that. They just get very, very nervous. <clears throat> you know, people talk about the stock market being destroyed. We haven't seen anything yet. It's only down of, I think, 15 to not even 20% right now right. from its all-time high. So a lot of people now that post-COVID here, it's got a little bit of a bump. They're all converting out of, out of that completely into cash. I just got off phone with an asset manager, a friend of mine, a couple of days ago, and he's instructed his entire family to convert everything to cash. So yep. that's this is a guy who managed billions and billions of dollars you know, of institutional money. So lot, lots of interesting changes. But again, wholesalers are positioned because mm -hmm. you're day trading. You, and the good news is 
The market could be down 10%, but wholesalers are locking up stuff at 50% discounts. Why? Because you're going after the most distressed sellers mm -hmm. that are freaking out. By nature, we're not paying market value. So if the market's down 10%, we get an, an exponential discount below that because we're already dealing with sellers that are motivated, sellers that are scared, and sellers that value cash. So I, th I think wholesalers are in prime position. My biggest mistake last market cycle is today I was a huge rehabber, not wholesaling. And then after I realized I'd screwed up, lost everything, I then flipped over to being a wholesaler. Right. So I went, I went from losing everything to making about a million bucks in 12 months once I changed from being a rehabber to a wholesaler. So we're kind of skipping ahead maybe to your next question. Yeah. But, but I also didn't know how to comp properties properly. So I couldn't see that the market was in decline. Right. I was taking the opinion, well, it sold for 140. Now it's going to be 150, you know, because yeah. that's what the, the rehabber thinks. You think your property is better than everyone else's. The market's going to go up at a normal rate of, of um, appreciation. That just doesn't happen. You know, that's not, that's not set in stone. Yeah, and, and I, I want to wrap that up a little bit with on the wholesaler side of things. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, they're, they're kind of tightening up their marketing, maybe yep. even not marketing as much because why? They're valuing their cash that they have and they don't want to spend it because they feel like they're not going to be able to get deals out of it. But going back to the amount of unemployment that's going on right now, and, and part of the reason why people are not wanting to market is because they're like, hey, those are not going to go into foreclosure for six, nine, 12 months, right? Because of like what you said at the beginning. But to your point, those sellers still are valuing cash. So it might not be because they're going to lose their house to foreclosure today, but it might be because they need that cash for other reasons. And so just something to think about if you're kind of questioning how much money you spend on your marketing right now. On that note, we've seen an immediate shift in trend. We were having huge success with homeowners a month ago. We're not now because the idea of someone leaving their home and it being unclear where they can move to, yep. what's going on. So we've actually shifted our attention where we were very successful a month ago with homeowners, owner occupants. We've completely shift away from owner occupants. Even if they got a ton of equity, <coughs> we're having to come right out of the gate. Again, this is what we're doing as a company. People can have whatever opinion they want. But if it's dealing with an owner occupant, we're coming right out of the gate offering 90 days to stay in their home. That's awesome. That's, and that's immediate a idea, man, because honestly, that's one of the objections that we're having to overcome ourselves right now, which is, so if I sell you my house, where am I going to go? How am right. I going to do things? I can't even leave my house right now. So what am I going to do? You know, so that's a great way to overcome that. So let's move on to the flipping side of things, right? So another, co another contract that just came across my desk here. It's a property in Lakeland. This lady even made us put it in writing that if there was still having restrictions in Polk County, um, if there was still a moratorium at auctions, we would let her stay an additional time. So we're, these, this is the kind of crazy language we're having to put into our contracts, but we, we adapted quickly. And if we can get a $20,000 discount for 5K in holding fees, mm -hmm. I got a net discount of 15 grand, which is just free money in my pocket. So right. I would just encourage everybody out there, if you're targeting owner occupants, make sure you don't have a one size fits all contract. Make sure you do have access to capital. So if you can get a tremendous discount and have to leave someone in their home for a couple months to account A, for the holding costs and B, for the market risk, do the deal. Just make sure you're not... Giving, getting a five grand discount for a five grand cost because now you've now 
you're taking on market risk and you have no margin to, to prepare for that. But I've been saying this since I started the podcast. And so if you're tired of me saying it, send me a message and say, RJ, I finally get it. But if we don't buy houses. We solve people's problems. The problems have just changed a little bit over the past 30 days. Amen. So to your point, now you just have to have a little bit of a different solution. That's all he's talking about right here. And it's up to us, right? We're supposed to be naturally visionaries anyways. So open up your visionary mind, be a little bit more creative and just listen to what your seller actually needs and how you can solve that. So what's your words to our flippers right now? I mean, what what world are they living in right now? Uh, Conservative, conservative, conservative. So I would say with your existing inventory, get it rehab quick, price it at market, sell it. So you want to capture the dollars because the longer it goes, the more market risk you have. So I would be highly focused on the stuff that's in rehab, getting it rehabbed, and really looking at the stuff that's on the market. Is it priced correctly? Is there anything moving in the subdivision? Because if we truly believe the market's not going to take off after all of this, then we wanna make sure it's priced at market of what stuff's actually selling for today so that we can capture real dollars instead of you know, having a buy and list operation. We only make money when we sell. So that, therefore, look, take a, a case by case, look at your inventory, see what's stale, see why it's not moving. But I wouldn't be waiting till COVID's lifted because you could find yourself in a worse market. And I think that the, the component of market risk, you know, there's several points of risk when you own a property. You've got the risk of ownership, you know, all the things that can go wrong, you know, fires, floods, all that kind of stuff. Yep. You've got market risk. The longer you own it now, the more that's going to increase. You've got construction risk when you're rehabbing. And then you've, you've got not only construction risk, but you've got budget risk where if, even if the construction went well, you just, your budget, you blew the budget because you didn't have a correct budget. So, or if the project goes too long and then by nature, you've gone over budget because you got more holding costs. So there's lots of things that can go wrong for rehabbers. So you've got two things. One, what's already in inventory? And then what are you bringing in? I'm really conservative. I want to beat deals, to, I beat the crap out of deals before they come in. How do I do that? So I look at the components that, that really will swing the needle and give me a margin of error. So on the comp side, which is the first thing you should always start with, what am I going to sell it for? If you get that wrong, that's, that's one of the biggest places to screw up. Right. Well, I look at, okay, if the comps were, will say, in fact, I got an example from yesterday. My underwriter sent back 450. I chopped it to 400. So that's about 10%. Right off the top, without knowing nothing about the market, I sent a back door and I said, no, it's not 450. It's now 400. Can we make money at 400? By the way, there's clear comps at 450, but I'm being really conservative. Now I've got a $50,000 buffer. So that's number one. Number two, how much are you going to cost to rehab? 80 is now 100. Okay. Does the deal still work? I built in a margin of error. High rehab costs, low resale price. Naturally, you've built in a margin. And with the way things are going, we may eat up that margin. We may need it. Right. We underwrite at a higher profit margin, you know, instead of making 10% net net, which is what we would have gone for in a very predictable market. We're trying to bump that closer to 12 to 15%. And so we're, um, by the way, I'm talking net net after all costs. I'm not talking about buying it 92 or sorry, not buying it, you know, 90 cents in the dollar. I'm talking about all in after all costs. Right. That we, we will net that amount. So, you know, if it's a $300,000 house, be 30. Now we want to make 40. So we're building in money. And that's after a high rehab and a low resale. So we're being really, really conservative. Also, we're looking at, can we just wholesale it? You know, if we can get a clear wholesale margin today, 
we're just, we're unloading those assets. But so for rehabbers, beat up your deals. Now on the resale price, you want to dig into the comps and really micromanage that. Look at that subdivision. It doesn't matter what, what a real quest report says. Is stuff moving or has nothing sold in the last month or is stuff still selling or are the actives lower than the pending and the pendings are lower than the solds? I mean, a thing going the wrong direction, right? That's a really dangerous place. Cause if you've got a, a, a subdivision that's in clear decline, are you going to be selling 10% less? Maybe you need to build in 20% on my right. equation. And that might sound crazy because people are like, well, it's sold for 300 and I'm saying, no, it's going to be about two forties where I price it. And people think I'm nuts, but where, where, where are you going to sell it? If you're, if you're now the next person in line, you're going to be selling lower because you can look at the comps and see that the pennings are lower than the solds and the actives are lower. And now you've got a bunch of competition. What happens is people just keep lowering their prices, right? Right. So now you're chasing that down. That's where it, on a micro level, you can see bumps in the road where the, the, the St. Louis market may be a 12% decline, but in subdivision X, it's 20 or 30% because it's mm -hmm. a bloodbath because you've got 10 rehabbers competing against each other. So it's really, really important for a flipper to look at what their competition is, to so look at the actives, look at actives and the pricing compared to pending, look at the solds, look at the liquidity in that subdivision, see if stuff's actually moving or if stuff's just sitting around, look at the average days on market, go back 30 days, is stuff going up or is it still moving at a steady pace? You know, look at the ratio of, of actives versus sold. I mean, if, if you keep getting new listings, but then there's nothing selling, you can see that already the supply is going up, right. which means indicates a future problem. But these are the kind of questions we're asking. We're not just assuming that the comps are good. We're digging into the comps and really asking a lot better questions. And then, like I said, we naturally build in the resale price at a conservative comp, and then we lower that by about 10%. We're doing the same thing with our construction. And the third thing we're doing, my calculator accounts for time, whole time. I've added a couple months onto that. Yep. Just arbitrarily, whether it's wholesale. So for instance, a wholesale used to be three months. And that's pretty conservative, by the way. If we take something down, I change the locks, so I put it on the market, I've accounted for holding that for 90 days. I've already increased that to 120, 150 for a house I'm selling as is. Right, and, and I love that you bring that up because on our, our rehab calculator, when we're analyzing deals, anytime we take it down, we are not assuming that we're gonna sell it in less than six months. Like, I just don't wanna take that risk. Yep. I, I assume it's always gonna take six months, even on the deals where it's like paint and carpet, six months, hey, if I'm wrong and we sell it in 60 days, congrats, that's called more profit. Yeah. I'm not going to go into the deal without that assumption. And, and I want to circle back around. If you're listening to this and you're a wholesaler, and then when I transition this conversation over to rehabbers and your eyes glazed over and you started thinking about something else, you just forgot that we're talking about your customers. You need to fully understand what we are talking about right now. And you need to be analyzing these deals, pulling comps and understanding what Lee's talking about right now. Because this is how you should be analyzing deals. <coughs> you need to be the one that's super conservative on the ARV for your buyer. Like that is what makes you a good wholesaler and what adds value to your customers. Because the worst thing in the world that you can do right now is sell a deal to your customer that is going to fail because you're losing your customer. You're essentially murdering your business because you're selling a deal at an ARV that it's not going to sell, and then they're not going to be able to come back and buy five more properties from you.
Okay. It's, it's really interesting. You mentioned that. So I agree with you. If you're selling to a rehabber, you're right on what I found as a wholesaler. And this may be, again, I probably another another controversial statement. The highest buyer I've always sold to is the buy and hold buyer. And yeah. even in, even in a, at the top of the market or the bottom of the market, my most conservative buyer has been a rehabber. So what I love to do, I like to play in a sandbox when I'm wholesaling where I can sell to a rehabber or a buy and hold or an institution. I like where everybody hangs out Absolutely. because economics 101 dictates if you got more demand, you get the price is higher, all other things being equal. So yeah, rehabbers are going, and you're right. If your customer's a rehabber and they're expecting you to give them deals, they can, they do the work, they put in the sweat equity and they make a profit. You're going to end up getting a really bad reputation, especially, and this is a big mistake wholesalers make ARV 300 repairs 50. And then the guy calls you three months later going, I have no action at 300 end up having to sell for 250 and I lost 20 grand. Yep. And you do that over and over again. That's why I've never been a huge fan when I'm wholesaling, of telling people how they're going to make money because it's just come back and blown back on me. So we just try to get good deals that appeal to more than one customer base. So we let the market decide what the price is. And my experience has been that <coughs> the buy and hold buyer, at least in an upward or flat market, is your best buyer. Now in a downward market, yeah, that's when the sharks come out. So instead of wholesaling right now, you can literally buy at wholesale and sell above wholesale because there's enough buyers. Right. Today, it's probably transitioned into slightly below wholesale, selling at wholesale. But once the crap hits the fan, you got to buy way below wholesale and sell below wholesale. So it's buying stuff really, really cheap because the person you're selling it to is recognizes they're taking a risk and they only want to buy something that's a deal. Right. And I, and I want to throw something out there and, and I want to get your opinion on this because this is, sure. this is my opinion. So maybe you'll disagree with me, but that's fine. Yeah. I, no, I feel like, I feel like the buyers, when the NBA said, Hey, we're shutting down our season as a cash buyer, I just gained all the leverage in the world. When the world shut down, it's like this, this is no longer where the wholesaler sends it out and I'm begging to get the deal and I'm competing. It's like, no, I'm going to tell you what my price is and this is who I am. And if you value my business, this is where you're going to sell me the deal at. That's how I've kind of become. Do you agree that as a buyer that's going to buy either from direct to seller, a bank, a wholesaler, it doesn't matter. It's now I have all the leverage in the world because I can buy houses. I have seen a mixed bag of that. And so I, what we do is we don't come out and say that we may think that yeah yeah exactly is we create a low ball speed of offer so what we because people value cash yep. whether it's a wholesale or an institution or a seller um like today our standard answer for my acquisitions good news is i've seen like three contracts come in today so this is good while we've been on this so that's awesome. we had about three in the hopper this morning and i'm seeing all three coming through so that that's that's good really good deals by the way and I could even give you a rundown on what they are if you wanted. But so my thought process is close quick because I recognize that's a big stick with people yep. right now. So just it's, it's you're separating yourself from the crowd because no one wants to lock up a 30 day contract and assign to someone else with a 30 day contract. Right. Because right. now it's just and you've seen those Daisy Jane deals where it's A to B, B to C, C to D. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, why did you just tell me this? Right. I tell every wholesaler, I'm like, tell me who's in the deal. I don't care if it's your contract. We've agreed the price. 
just like, I don't want to do six closings. Can we just get, put me in contact? I'll pay whatever fee you want. And right. Because yeah, but I, right now you, you're right. We have a, we do have a big value. A lot of the people that were doing that are, are out, but I like these markets because the competition, you're thinning the herd down to people that actually want to operate in the real estate market. and are not middlemen. I don't, I don't dog wholesalers because again, I think wholesaling's smart, but these middlemen wholesalers that are, are not providing any actual value on the acquisition or dispo side, they're the ones that I'm seeing getting squeezed out right now. So <clears throat> having that reputation, what's going to happen is people, people will circumvent the middlemen and come straight to you. You don't have to do anything right. because your person, public record shows it, you're promoting yourself as being an active cash buyer and the deal will start to come to you. So what I have noticed is that without me actually saying anything, more deals are coming to me. Yep. And I've seen the exact same thing where just because of the reputation and your ability to be able to close deals and, and just having that reputation in the local marketplaces, you know, you're all over the place and, and we're somewhere in that regard, not as many locations. Uh, but now it's like all of a sudden in Hawaii, I mean, I'm getting deals out of all over the place. I mean, it's, it's almost daily like, Hey, boom, 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 here's deals. And I'm kind of going, well, now I'm overwhelmed. Like that's, that's more deals than I want sent my way. Uh, and, and, you know, to your point about the middleman, like, look, if, if that's you right now, just fix it. Like, don't be that guy. Like go find a, a, a place to add value. You're not adding value to anybody and, and you can excuse it and say that you are, but in all reality, you're just not. So find a way yeah, to, especially if you're charging a hefty fee, you know, it's, it's, right. there's no, there's no real value for, and plus, because the buyers now, like us, are beating up the wholesaler, that, that by nature is, is thinning those wholesale margins. You know, you see a lot, of, a lot of wholesalers that were not particularly good at wholesaling. Right. The average industry stat that I saw floating around for the last couple of years is wholesale fees in the ten to $20,000 range. You know, and that, that probably will get squeezed down unless you're really good at acquiring below market value deals. But if you're just competing on market value deals like everybody else, locking them up and then trying to sell them to the next guy, those kind of 15, 20 grand margins are not going to exist anymore. Look, here at the end of the day, you have to understand that the greatest skill that you can have right now is, is being able to buy deep. You're going to have to have sales skills. You're going to have to understand how to talk to sellers and, and close the deal down. Like that is a fact. You're going to have to get better at that because – if you lock them up too high, you're not going to be able to move them. Your, your dispositions is going to come to a screeching halt, which hurts your marketing. And then in turn will, you know, eventually kill your business. So you have to get good at those sales skills. Yeah. It's um, all acquisitions. It's, yeah. it's all acquisitions. So I want to kind of transition the conversation. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're an extremely busy guy, but I do want to talk about the fact that, um, you know, you, you've had some, some issues, some health issues recently including the fact that uh, you were actually diagnosed with COVID-19. Yeah. Um, and, and you're one of the few people, thankfully, that I do know that has come down with this. Um, talk about your experience with that for a little bit and just kind of share to everybody, you know, how serious sure. this actually has been. Yeah, it's really serious. So give you a little bit of background. I probably shouldn't have been traveling. I didn't realize how contagious this was. And I'm, I'm sure on the date of this recording, I sound silly, but Six weeks ago, I don't believe people felt the way they do today. So right. maybe that's me excusing myself for being dumb. But so I was traveling after having back-to-back -back bronchitis. I was in hospital with a with a heart issue, 
uh, thank goodness I'm able to treat it medically. It's not, didn't have to get a stent. So that was a huge win. Yep. It was also scary to find out that I had a blockage in my widow maker. Right. So that was a scary time. But anyway, got past that and it was March 20th. I flew to Cleveland, March 1st. Um, the, the day I was coming back, I started not feel good. So I, I went back to the ER. By the time I'd actually got to the ER, I had a temperature, um, a fever. I was developing a cough, and I just felt really off. I'm like, this doesn't feel like bronchitis. This feels right. like that. The hospital turned me away. They were like, your chest x-ray is clear. Get out of here. Like, you're good. And so I said, okay. So I tried to tough it out. In fact, I did a webinar with Real Advisors on Monday night, and I was dying. So the guy's like, you're off. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. So fast forward to Wednesday. It was about lunchtime. I just left the office. I said, man, I, and I laid down. I don't, and from that point forward, I don't remember anything. But apparently I woke up, got a ride to the office to pick up some chargers, and then asked to go to the hospital. And so I remember waking up on Thursday, but I checked into the ER with pneumonia, 104 fever, and COVID. And so I was in a really, really bad way. So between Wednesday and Saturday, I declined to the point that my oxygen was constantly in the 80s. And they have to keep giving me supplemental oxygen and turn that up. So I got, I got pretty scared because I could feel the fluid in my lungs. I could feel like it was like a fizzing, like a crackling noise. It was very scary. And my ability to breathe was just getting really difficult. And I, 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 was just, I could feel my body shutting down. So at that point, I just started yelling because I, I was getting friends texting me going, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. So I said, fine. I said, this is a Hail Mary. So I just kept yelling. They finally gave it to me. And by Monday afternoon, I was able to breathe on my own. So, you know, politics aside, you know, religion, whatever, it doesn't matter. That, that drug saved my life. And so I'm very, very thankful that I had friends in my corner just pushing me to push the doctors. But I'm also sympathetic with the doctors because they're prescribing a non tested drug right. that really has no track history. And so it's real catch 22, I think, for medical professionals. They're short on supplies. The wonder drug has, hasn't got clinical trials behind it. So it's, it's a learning curve for everybody. So I'm trying to really, at this point, be super sympathetic. You know, I see people posting crazy posts going, give me back my freedom. I'm like, well, if your son or daughter is on a ventilator, you might feel a little bit different about exactly. this. Exactly. So, but I do recognize that it's all in the eye of the beholder. And so I try to, I know that my experience is not everybody's experience, which is why I'm not telling everybody to like lock up their doors and, you know, wear body masks and hide from everybody. Cause I just recognize that I, try, I need to walk in someone else's shoes and, and their perspective is different than mine. But a lot of people reach out for advice, which is fine because I've got real life experience with this and I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. I was fighting for my life there for a couple of days. At one point, I got really scared, and I was—I I figured it was fifty-fifty if I was make it, just because they—they they were talking about transferring me to the other room, and I knew that Jeez. meant going on a ventilator. So I—I got—I got very nervous, and it's yeah, it's kind of tough to talk about that because yeah, I'm just thinking about what that was like and being alone in a room, and even the doctors didn't want to come in; they want to talk to you over speaker because they don't want to get this and so the nurses would have minimal contact and have to put on full battle gear to like just do something so I that was that was a tough week that was really a, a tough week and I have a lot of empathy for people that are dealing with this <coughs> it's not a joke I think that there's varying degrees depending on what your underlying issues are 
it seems like some people go from a flu-like symptom all the way to almost dying like me and dying in other cases. Even within our business, um, we have one of our business partner's wives, her cousin passed away just a couple of days ago of COVID-19. Her uncle is on a ventilator. So this stuff's hitting pretty close to home. And it's not a joke, but I also don't claim to have all the answers. There's just so many unknowns. You know, I want us to go back to work. I want right. the economy to be right. I want people to get paid. But I also don't want a bunch of people dying unnecessarily. So I don't claim to have any kind of extreme answer for this other than I want things to go back to normal. But I don't know what that new normal even looks like. So it's, I think anyone who's claiming to be an expert on this is, is mistaken because we're, we're figuring this stuff out together. Yeah, man. It's, um, thank you for sharing that first and foremost. I mean, yeah. I, I know that's, uh, that's extremely difficult and uh, I, I can't imagine what that must feel like where you're at a, you're at a hospital and the nurses and doctors are trying to avoid you. I mean, that's the place you go to get better. You know I mean? It's like uh, how lonely of a feeling that must've been to be sitting there and, and literally having those feelings and that hearing those conversations. Or even choking. The COVID cough is so severe that it would choke you to the point you passed out. So I passed out many times in hospital just by myself with no one there. So Jeez. it was, it, it's, it's rough. I mean, I'm not saying that for people to have a pity party, like it's really bad. And yeah. so this is just far different than anything I've experienced in my life. And when you feel your body shutting down and the only solution is to give you more oxygen, that's a, that's a scary, scary place to be. So I, I just encourage you guys, you know, if you're listening to this, just, just try to walk in someone else's shoes and be, just be empathetic with people because you just don't know what's going on in someone else's life. You don't know what their experience is, whether it's with them personally or their family or their inner circle. And it's affecting people even besides the sickness, you know, people, you know, I see a lot of people say, well, just go back to work and stop being lazy. I'm like, well, no, people don't have an entrepreneurial skill set. They've worked a job for 20 years. Their job said you're fired and they have no income and right. no ability to pay for anything. So I, I just, I'm trying not to take that extreme view because I think it's, it's very, very harsh. And we as leaders need to lead by example, lead with positivity, lead with hope, lead with t teaching people what we are doing in our business that is working and trying to encourage people rather than hit people over the head for having an extreme view that's different than yours. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I mean, how are you feeling now? Are you, do you feel like you're fully recovered? Did, not at did all. They, did they continue no. to give you medicine or, or what? No, it's just sleep is my biggest medicine right now. I'm probably about 50% of where I need to be. Uh, my lungs are severely damaged. I don't have a lot of stamina to even walk or, you know, do any kind of exercise. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's hard for me to say that because everybody wants to be the tough guy, but right. this is no joke. I think it's going to be several weeks before I recover. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, transparent and, and be honest with you, man. I mean, so, you know, you and I met in Houston at Whole Scaling, and uh, I don't know you. Um, I've never met you before, but I know Elizabeth makes the announcement, and she's like, you know, Lee Carney's coming in, and he's done 7,000 houses, and I'm like, the hell am I doing speaking on the same stage as this guy, you know, and here you come in with uh with your whole entourage that you've got coming in and uh you were one of those kind of guys that just naturally was like bigger than life you know and and you know i i follow you on social media and and i respect you know your opinion and some of the things that you're doing in this in this business 
And then, you know, I saw what happened with, with the heart issue. And, and that like hit home for me because I'm 35. You said you're 40. Right. And, and I'm like, one now. so I'm like, holy shit, like five years from now. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta stop drinking this shit, you know? And, and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, immediately. I can tell you why you shouldn't drink that stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know larger, the, get larger heart valves. So yeah. Yeah. I know all the reasons why. And, uh, and I'm like, uh, you know, that's, that's scary. You know, I, I mean, you were this guy that came in and, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I respect you so much. And then I find out that you have COVID right after. And, uh, you know, it, it hit me pretty hard, man. I mean, you're, you're like a guy that I, I don't know, but it's like, I've seen you. Like I've been in the same room with you. I shook your hand and, uh, and it's like, holy cow, like this is, I think we all kind of had those moments when, you know, the NBA shut down, no March Madness, Tom Hanks. That was like, okay, this is real, right? And then it's like when you actually know somebody, it's like, whoa, like this is hitting home. Sure. It was one thing when it was Forrest Gump. It's another thing when it's like a guy that shook his hand, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and even further than that, you know, like without getting religious, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Your life right. can be taken away in a flash and – those things are real to me. So it's very, very humbling. Like when I get out of hospital, I was in isolation. I couldn't even get out of bed. And <laughs> people are like, how are you doing? And I don't want to be telling them like, I'm doing terrible every day. Like, right. cause that's not what people want to hear. So it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a real challenge. It's definitely messed with my head. I think it's caused me to think about a lot of things. Um, I haven't been able to hug my son in a month at the time of this recording. It's Jeez. been a month since I hugged my son, because I got retested to make sure that I'm negative before I go see him, especially after getting bronchitis after COVID. So yeah, it's, this is, this is a fact that I put a post a couple weeks ago. This affected every area of my life. You know, my business is having some challenges, my personal life, family. I mean, it's, yeah, it's rough, man. It's been a challenge. Yeah. and look, here's one of those things, like this is an unforgiving illness, right? Like it didn't ask you how many houses you flipped or how successful you were. And, and I think that's the thing that is kind of a realization to, to everybody. <coughs> and uh, just thank you for, for opening yourself up and, and sharing that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get this episode released as quickly as possible from the recording yeah. date because I want it to impact people and I want people to understand what you've gone through. Um, you know, and look, like you said, everybody's going to have their different opinions, but just put yourself in Lee's shoes and just think about what he's had to go through. Um, you know, not being able to hug your son for, for 20 days. I mean, no, it's been almost a month. Yeah. Almost a month now. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how I would react to that. And like you said, that impacts your, your mental stability, right? Like you just, uh, that's, that's hard, man. So prayers to you, man. I, you know, all of us at Titanium have been thinking about you, um, talking about you. Yeah, um, Jamie reached out to me. It was, it was nice. I got a couple nice messages from her. I thought that was really super cool. Yeah, man. And just, it, it, you are a name that's frequently mentioned here because to be honest with you, just, you're the, you're the person that I know that's been going through this and it's just, it's crazy to me. And so, I'm thankful that you're you're at least well enough to do this interview, be back at home. You know, you're working, you're, you're getting deals under contract, you're getting three today. 
Um, so at least some of the normalcy is coming back and, uh, you know, hoping that, you know, it can all go away and you can be back up to your normal self soon. On the business side, this is why you want a POA set up. My business ran without me while I was in hospital. Yep. Cause I've got POAs, the correct authority given to the right people and deals are being bought and sold wires coming in, wires going out and the business ran. It, obviously yeah, which are clean up now, right. But, but the business ran without me being physically present or having any kind of discussion or decision-making ability um, on anything. That's a beautiful thing, man. And, uh, Thank you so much for sharing all the wisdom with us today. Um, this has been quite possibly one of my, my favorite interviews just from the amount of wisdom that you shared with us. And then also just the fact that you shared something that's so real life and so relevant to everybody that's going on. I hate that you had to go through that. Like I said, man, I, I respect the hell out of you. Um, and, and just for everything that you do for the community with your education programs and in and of itself, just the real estate investing, helping people out in terrible situations. So any final thoughts before we sign off? I would just, you know, don't, don't be scared. Just look at the numbers. I've always been a numbers and data guy. Look at your numbers, make sure you, you know your numbers and buy on the numbers. You know, at the end of the day, the market's probably going to decline over the next couple of years here, but you, you got to make sure that you're constantly buying below today's market value so that you're, you're insulated from that. And that's, you don't need to be scared. If you've got solid data and solid, solid analytics behind you, it's better than just shoot. This is not a time to shoot in the dark. Just let the numbers guide you, you know, chase buyer demand, chase pricing, make sure that you're always staying well below that. And you can make plenty of money, even in a downward market. Beautiful, man. All right, guys, that's our episode for today. Um, if you enjoyed it and you're listening on iTunes, remember we only accept five-star ratings. If you want to give us less than that, give it to somebody else. I only take five stars. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Lee. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. <laughs>